All right, well, welcome to the Afterwards Podcast, where each week we spend some time and talk about the previous weekend's message and kind of unpack that with the teaching pastors and maybe sometimes uncover some stuff that didn't get covered. And today I'm very excited to be joined by Tony and James. And uh, Tony, I'm not going to make you introduce yourself again because I've made you do this. is like the third time. Third time in a row. <laughs> in a row. It's kind of yeah. nice. James has not been here as recently. This is your second time. I'm very glad to have you back. Uh where have you been? <laughs> I show up where I'm told to show okay. up. So I, <laughs> That's a good life. I've policy. been doing other stuff. <laughs> okay. So just waiting. He's waiting to be back. Waiting for me to call. Yes. Right. <laughs> so yeah, you you well, you mentioned you just kind of show up where you're told. That's that's interesting. So I kind of made this connection. You you talked in your message as you began that in December you and your wife celebrated your 32nd wedding anniversary. So congratulations, first of all. Yeah. I don't know if those two things are connected, just going where you're told, long, happy marriage. But I did want to start by kind of asking, you know, what is the secret from someone who has made it 32 years so far and counting? Like, do you have any any off the bat advice for people? And I only gave you 30 seconds of notice that I was going to do this. So yeah. if you need a second. Yeah, that might be a longer question. So I would say, I said this in the sermon and I'll say it, Again, uh, I'm very lucky uh, to be married to someone that has a very steadfast faith. So we are very aligned on sort of our core beliefs and worldview, and that makes a big difference. And then over time, I think both of us um, have just learned um, to major in the majors and almost nothing really bothers us at this point in time. Yeah. <laughs> um, just don't moralize other people's preferences is, you know what I mean? And just, eh, we do, we do things differently. We think differently. We're extremely different people as Tony knows all too well. <laughs> and, um, and so that's probably the other piece that we just don't really, we don't really get at odds with each other very often because of that, I think so. Well, those, are, those are two thoughts. That's great. And that's helpful. And I appreciate it. I mean, so that, that's good advice. So uh, this week, one of the things that's interesting, well, we're missing Hezekiah. He, he's not missing. He just was not able to join us. I do encourage you if you're listening to this podcast and you didn't get a chance to hear his message at Rio, it is already in the other podcast feed. So please, and I'll include a link to that, even though he wasn't able to join us. And as always, you can tap down below and click the links for Tony's message and for James's message as well. It's real. One of the things this week for me as someone who listens to all three of them so that we can record this podcast. And this feels like it was the first time that this was really true. Your messages were very different and they kind of focused on two different aspects. And I thought that was really kind of neat. James, I kind of want to start with you because you painted this picture of sort of the temple with the illustration of the veil, mm -hmm. not the illustration in the temple. There was a, a veil. literal veil, right? Yes. Talk about like entire passage sort of depends on understanding that illustration. Yeah. Yeah. I, the best I can come up with in, in doing a lot of the reading and research about why there was that separating veil, um, separate, it separated the Holy of Holies from the most Holy of Holies and the presence of God on the Ark of the Covenant, the glory of God. The best I could come up with is it was very terrifying and perhaps life-threatening for any human to be in the full presence of God, like face-to-face. -face. Like if you just read through the scriptures, anytime that happened, people would like dive to the ground. 
uh, or the, I mean, it was just there was something about God's presence. He is just so glorious and so powerful, and such a there's just such a force there that people just literally can't handle it. And so even with Moses being in God's presence, like secondhand version <laughs> was still like, like the people were like, this is really super scary um, to, to um, be in the presence of someone who was in the presence. I mean, that, that it's mm-hmm. that big of a deal. So why that is or how that's evolved is a bit of a mystery. Um, you know what I mean? That, that there's sort of this unveiled um, or the through the the presence of Christ and the intermediary that he functions as, um, that there is something that's changed, that's shifted, where you as a believer, the Holy Spirit of God, God himself lives like inside of you. And that's just a different, it's, it's it, the, the way God manifests himself has changed. Yep. Um, and that's really fascinating to me. Yeah. So, and I, Tony, I, when I, I remember hearing someone describe this to me as when the priest would go in, they'd have to tie a rope around his foot mm-hmm. because if he died in the present, like no one else could go in there. Right. right. It was like mm-hmm. if the, and I can imagine that would be very frightening that if the person who has been appointed to go and do that died, like who would want to go in? And yet this passage of scripture is, is, you know, and we're coming up on Easter where there's just the great illustration of the, well, not just the illustration. Again, the Bible tells us the veil was torn, right? Right. That the access is no longer limited. Right. And you, you talked a lot about the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. And I want to get to that in a second, but I do feel like there's this really powerful thread that runs between the, the idea that at one point God's presence was among the people, but it was limited in, in access. And yet in the new version, it, we all have access to that. Mm-hmm. And I really love the way that you kind of contrasted those two things. But I'm just curious, like as you have sort of studied this and explored this, uh, you know, when you think about the fact that we, you know, James just said it, the presence of God now lives within us. I don't think that most Christians spend a lot of time thinking about that, right? They don't think like we, we hear that like, yeah, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. My children could all tell you that. What does that really mean? Because the presence of God hovering above the ark or however that was, would kill someone. Mm. And yet now we have that same power within us. Well, <laughs> that's like small I mean, questions that's such a big today, question. Tony. No, we've been no, here no. three weeks but in a row. We got to hit you. With yeah, the hard right. Ones. No, but I mean, I think, you know, I think back to other texts that talk about how, I mean, I'm thinking back to Ephesians two, where it's just like, look, we were dead. So, I mean, the spirit like makes us alive to spiritual realities and truths to where, um, I mean, and we're going to kind of see that I think in this passage, uh, coming up, like there's this spiritual blindness, you know, there's other, there's other illustrations that, that Paul uses, uh, to kind of show like life without the spirit changing, illuminating, like making you more like, and I think that is kind of like the spirit in you, like, changes your affections, changes even your ability, um, to read the word and understand it. Like it makes sin look not attractive anymore (laughs) and the things of God look attractive. And so, I mean, it's just looking at what the Bible teaches about sanctification and about how like we don't as Christians white knuckle that along. I mean, that's not something where it's like, oh, now that I'm a Christian, I have to be 
joyful or I have to like these, this fruit of the spirit that just naturally like, look, as we walk in faith and as we like walk in love of the Lord, like God does that in us. It's this really beautiful thing. And I think how that happens, I do think God in his grace has given us some really cool pictures of that in the scripture, like even like fruit of the spirit. Like, look, we know, like when you think about fruit, like how does fruit like come about? Well, it grows, right? And it takes time and it takes like the right environment. And so I, I really like a lot of what the Bible teaches about that because they're just really clear pictures that trigger something in your brain of like, oh, that makes sense to me. And we, we've seen that a lot in Second Corinthians already, how Paul writes. Yep. So the other thing that stuck out, and again, I, I want to get to the contrast between Old and New Covenant, because I do think for a lot of Christians, there, there's like, they know that that's a thing. The Old Covenant was replaced by a New Covenant. And I want to unpack that. But first, you know, Tony, I'm going to actually direct this question to James, but based on you talked about how many times the word glory appears in this passage. And it's like, like that feels like one of those words that we use a lot in the church glory. But I'm wondering, like, what does that mean when we talk about the glory of God as we read through this passage? Like, let's not just like speed past these words. Like, let's actually unpack. Like, so I'm just curious, like when we say the glory of God and what it was that was radiating from Moses. Like what, what is that? Yeah, that's a great question. And there's really, there's two definitions, just generally speaking of the word glory. So there's that sort of just almost like unspeakable magnificence. I don't think we give that to God. I think that's his nature and character. His just, I mean, he's just a superior, powerful, beautiful, beyond words, uh, you know, th th that's one side of glory. And then the other side of it is this esteem or this honor. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the piece that, again, I don't know that we're giving it to him. I think we're acknowledging or we're uh, recognizing the position that we have in front of him, that he is the one that's worthy of glory of that esteem that honor because he is so glorious powerful magnificent beautiful righteous all those is that making sense yeah so the two definitions kind of work together it's like a reality and a response it is and I, and I was like in my head i was like wrestling a little bit it's interesting that you brought that question up with like why do we say give glory to god like he already has like all it's but it is it's we're esteeming him or we're acknowledging him for who he is. And I think, I don't know if it's both or one or the other that was showing up on Moses's face, you know what I mean? Or if it was just the, the sheer holiness of it, you know, was so overwhelming. Or sometimes, I mean, I, I use that illustration of Raiders of the Lost Ark and that scene where the glory of God came out of the, the Ark of the Covenant. And in the movie, it was like, it was kind of scary. It was, it was like this sort of holy terror, <laughs> you know what I mean? The way it was depicted, that might be pretty accurate. Um, that there is, and there was different, uh, it seemed like angels and mixed into that whole thing there. So um, yeah, there's a lot going on with that idea. And it, it just is all the more powerful where, you know, when we think about that, to approach the throne of God with boldness, um, that that this veil has been torn in two. I'm not sure that we 
can ever take advantage of the opportunity that we have to be in front of and present with and intimate with the living God enough on this side of eternity. I mean, it's, it's that significant. I think that the, the, the change, it was like, don't approach the throne of God at all. And certainly not with, and now that's a flip. Like someone else has to go for you. And now for those of us who are in Christ, not everybody, the, the passage this week talks about how there's still a veil over the hearts of people who don't know Jesus. And so it's powerful um, and significant, I think. And that boldly language, like for me, it brings to mind like a child yeah. running to their parents. Yeah. You know, where it's like they aren't thinking, is this okay? Mm-hmm. Like they're thinking, I need my mom. Mm-hmm. I need my dad. And I know mm-hmm. there's comfort there. And so I love that. Like how, when you look at how it was and how it is, it's just the gap is so huge. <laughs> yeah. You know, and just to see like, what we're told in Hebrews four is awesome. And it's like, my dad is the king. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, it's that kind of a feel, Yeah. you know? So there's a certain privilege. There's a certain, like you can just walk into the throne room and you know, there's an, there is that, 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 that's a, that's a powerful illustration, I think. Yeah. And you mentioned like it, it did flip, right? It, yeah. Like it, it is, it is a it, almost completely in contrast to, as you said, someone had to go in for you. Right. Right. And then essentially, I guess, Jesus like did that for all of us so that no longer, you know, we're, it, the, the access to being with God is no longer limited. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that sort of transitions us to the, where I really wanted to go, which is kind of talking about the old and the new covenant. And so Tony had a great chart. I, I literally saw people pulling out their cameras and taking pictures of the I love screen charts. for this chart. And so I will make sure that there is a link so that everyone can enjoy all of the glory of this chart. Yeah. Uh, it was good. It was talking about sort of the characteristic differences of the old and the new covenant. But I kind of wanted to just touch on what we mean when we talk about the old covenant. And so I'm like, I, I flip back here to Genesis chapter 15. God says to him in ch- chapter 15, verse nine, he says, I want you to bring me these things. Bring me a three-year-old cow a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And it says, so Abraham brought all these things to him, cut them in half, laid all the pieces opposite each other, but he did not cut the birds in half. Birds of a prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, a deep sleep came over Abram, and suddenly great terror and darkness descended on them. Then the Lord said to Abram, know this for certain, your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them and will be enslaved and oppressed. However, I will judge the nation they serve. And afterward, they will go out with many possessions, but you will go to your fathers in peace and will be buried at a good old age. I love that at a good old age In the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So there's, there's just a lot happening in that, right? There's the illustration of literal blood, right? Separate the animals, do this. What, what is going on? Well, yeah. So again, in that covenant, I mean, so, well, when people would make covenants, they would do that with the animals and then they would walk through the animals together and to signify that, look, if one of us doesn't keep our end of the covenant, let it be like what these, what's happened (laughs) to these animals. And what's so fascinating about that passage is Abraham prepares all that stuff and he never walks through it. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And who walks through? God does. And so it, and he caused a deep sleep to fall over Abraham. So there isn't that this is like the unconditional nature of this covenant. 
that God makes with Abraham. Like he's going to do it. And like, there's nothing Abraham can do that's going to change what the covenant that God's making with him in that moment. And like, and what it, it's fascinating, right? The 400 years, like there is in slavery in, in Egypt and then they are miraculously let out of slavery, you know? So it's just, it's cool to see that th- to come about. But like, that is, I think what that passage is getting at is like, God made this covenant with Abraham and nothing special about him. God just picked him. Yep. And so we go from there, obviously I'm going to skip a whole lot of history to the time of like the temple sacrifices. Mm-hmm. And the problem was that we just, no matter how hard they tried or didn't try, Israel just couldn't keep their end of the bargain. They right. couldn't do that. And so God finally said, all right, fine. <laughs> like I'm going to, we're going to do this a different way. Kind of, you know, he's, he's sent Jesus. Yeah. So I think God gave the old covenant and he gave the law, um, full well, like knowing like the people weren't going to be able to like perfectly obey it. And and the thing is like God gave the law. I mean, so we see this is like, it was meant to reveal sin. You see Paul write about this in the new Testament is like this. And I mean, that's kind of what he's getting at with this passage. Um, (laughs) what does he say? I'm, I'm, I'm pulling it up here. Um, like the ministry that, that brought death, right? Chiseled in letters on stones. Like it was a shadow of things to come. Like that's kind of like other language that he uses. Um, but all of this was meant to like, hopefully the people would see like, wow, we are sacrificing a lot of animals. (laughs) Like there's like, we can't, we can't do this thing. Like we, we need like something else. And it was really meant to be a giant picture to like God needed to do this in a lasting way and it needed it needed to be through shed blood because that was how this that's what god said like i mean without blood there's no forgiveness of sins and so like again the old covenant was meant to like help the people see their need for a rescuer for their their need for a lasting um atonement of sin the day of atonement we don't really have a ton of time to go into it but like the whole day of atonement was fascinating i mean about this like one day a year Um, they would sacrifice an animal, then they would set another animal free to run off to symbolize like the sins being removed from the people. Like it was all like, there was nothing magical about those animals. It was all a, like, you need to see like the symbolism of what this is representing and the people often dismissed it. And if you even look in the law, like how many different animals for different sin, like it was just fascinating how, uh, the variances in the law and like for this, you do that for that, you do this. And it was just, it's a deep study if you want to commit the time to it. But it was really meant to show the people that they needed God to do what they couldn't do. Yeah. And I think I'm glad you like highlighted that piece because it would be a shame to go through all of that just for the sake of talking about the old covenant, but there is a purpose to it. Right. Right. And the purpose of it was to set people up to realize, Hey, in in Hebrews, right. Hebrews chapter 10, where it says it impossible. In the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year, but it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, right? Like pointing towards Jesus. Like right. in the old covenant, this. like that was not going to like erase all their sins forever. I mean, yeah. like until they sinned again, like, oh, oh we got to do gotta it again, do you know? Again. And so, right. Only a perfect sacrifice could be lasting. Yeah. And so when we, when we, James, when we switch over to the new covenant, I guess, can you tell us just a little bit about like what it means when like we think of the new covenant as being even more glorious than the old one? Yeah. Well, I, th- I think I want to add to the other piece that you guys were talking about because it, it matters in this discussion that everything Tony said was true about the old, the law, the 613 commands baked into those were 
provisions for when people failed to obey the commands. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the law has multi multiple faces. So there's the moral law, which carries over into the New Testament. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. There's the Jewish part of the law. And then there's the the, the part that, that Tony was referencing, the sacrificial pieces that relate to it. And, and those are all different kind of faces of the same 613 commands. And the piece I think that matters in the New Testament that I think it's overlooked is um, God fully expected the people to obey the law. It wasn't like, hey, I'm just going to set this whole thing up knowing you can't do it and it's fine mm. if you can, you know what I mean? It wasn't, and they tried so hard to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and if you know people that are Orthodox Jewish people today, they are maniacally committed to the letter of the law, the spirit of the law. Keep They keep a hedge around the law so they don't even get near. You know what I mean? There, there's a whole level of obedience. And that's what I was trying to get at in the sermon, that we now, um, in Christ, um, everything you said was true, that he became the perfect blood sacrifice on our behalf. So the sacrificial system is gone. He became the high priest on our behalf. So the whole priesthood has changed. All of that's changed in Christ. But sometimes we miss that the result is still a call for us to obey. Um, if you read Jeremiah, it talks about the old covenant and then there will be a day, Jeremiah 31, he talks about where the law is going to be written on your hearts. And it's going to, there's going to be a change and a shift and um, the, the, the kind of pivot that we've described here, but it doesn't mean, okay, well now it, it, the law is null and void and, and we don't have to pay attention to it anymore. Is that making sense? Yep. Um, but I'm no uh, longer under the law and um, no longer, uh, that's the freedom that we talked about over the weekend, where the spirit of the, of the Lord is, there is freedom. And am I going to use my f freedom as an opportunity for, to glorify the flesh, or am I going to use it to serve and love others and glory to God? You know, that's kind of the, and it's, it's interesting how that feels different than I'm following the law in order to try to perfectly obey it to attain salvation. Those are not the same thing. Does that make sense? Yep. That's a completely different paradigm. Yeah. And one of the things I liked is that, as I mentioned, as we started the two, the two messages, like, so it took different paths and different illustrations to get there, but both of you landed on verse 12. And in fact, Tony, it's funny. So a little bit of behind the scenes, you know, when the teaching pastors are preparing a message, they send us their message notes and then we put together the slides. And there was a point when I almost sent you a Slack message saying, I think you missed a verse <laughs> <laughs> yeah. because you skipped verse 12 right. on purpose. But at the time I'm like, does he know? <laughs> I should have had more faith. I apologize. No, but no. it was just, I'm like thinking I about it. I do forget it. things. I, so well, that's but I'm okay. just like, I'm thinking like, <laughs> but it's a good verse. You can't just be skipping this one. Cause sometimes <laughs> I can understand, like you can't emphasize every verse, but I'm like, this one feels like it's the most important thing. And it says, since then we have such a hope we act with great boldness. And I love that you both landed there and, and, and James, you even expanded on like, because of this, because we have this, you know, boldness, this is what we should do. But first I want to just from both of you here, like just talk for just a minute about what he means when he says we have such a hope. I know we've 
kind of been encapsulating that throughout this whole conversation. But I would just love to like w- have you each share just a little bit of your takeaway for the people who are listening who may not have heard the heard the message. So yeah, just Tony talk about like when he's we have this hope and the we here is all of us. Right. Well, and I think so just reading this normally, like reading it as a chunk of text since then, like so what what is he he's referring to what he just said. So since then, we have such a hope. I mean, so what is the hope? Like look, this it's it's no longer this law outside of us. It's like God is doing this work in you. Like, um, and, and it's kind of like, that's the chart that I put together, right? It's kind of like, yep. it's no longer this ministry that brought condemnation, but it's this ministry now that brings righteousness that overflows in even more glory. So it's kind of like, look, because like of the, 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 glo- the more glorious new covenants, because of that, because of that hope, we act with great boldness. I think he's just carrying out the logical flow of like, this is no longer that. So since then, let's act with boldness. I think he's just found, I think it's just kind of his, so what to his explanation of the previous verses. Well, and also from the previous week. Yeah. He says, such is the confidence we have through Christ before God. It's not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant Mm -hmm. and the spirit gives life. And so he's, he's, I think, uh, taking off on this idea of the confidence and competence that comes from him and through him and the glorious eternal future that awaits um, and the and the access to God, the confidence we have through Christ before God, he's he's continuing that thought. He, he um, confidence, boldness, um, the minist- the the competence is ministry. Uh, he talks about the transformation that we have. That's you know, so he's he's kind of still, kind of picking up on some of the same themes that we talked about earlier in the chapter. Right, and I think in this series, what you're going to see a lot probably is some retreading of where the sermon was in the week prior, or maybe even tapping into a little bit where it's going next because we're breaking this text down into preachable segments where this was a letter. Yep. Right. It was something that Paul wrote to a group of people and he, there's not these headings (laughs) and these numbers in his original letter. So this was a cohesive letter that we don't have the luxury of just sitting down and talking through in one sitting. And so there's going to, you always have to look back at what was said, maybe even beyond the sermon or two before, because there is a continuation of thought. His thoughts don't all fit into these little nice five to six verse categories, right? right? I mean, and so I think what James just did was super helpful because we need to always go back to where was the beginning of this thought (laughs) that he was like, where's a therefore, or where's some breaks in the text or what is he, is he pivoting? And, and so that's like a great strategy because I think we always have to do that. And it doesn't always fit perfectly in how the passage is broken down in a sermon. And it feels like the idea of, since we have this great hope, we act with great boldness is sort of closing the loop on the idea that in the old system, right? It feels like it would have felt very bold to, to think that you were the one who was going to enter into the Holy of Holies. That would require a reasonable degree of, I don't know, humility and confidence combined there for like, it's not a thing anyone would just walk up and do because there was grave consequences with that. right? Right. And yet, it feels to me like Paul is encouraging us. No, 
where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. You're no longer under that law and you are able, you know, we are not like those who still have a veil over whenever the old covenant is read. Like we can act with boldness. We can, we have access to the presence of God. It lives within us. And so we're accountable for what we do with that. And, and James even talked about that. Like the, you said, you know, the thing we're supposed to do is to act with great boldness and to remember that there's freedom and to, to be thankful that we are being transformed. Like all of this is for a purpose, right? It's not just, I mean, yes, it is for our salvation, but if it was only for our salvation, it's like you'd be saved and then you'd just be like taken up in a, in yeah. a, in a win, but like we're still here. And so there is something we're supposed to act, something we're supposed to do. Yeah. Well, and that's the question that you're going to ask us, because this is my second time on this podcast. So I know it's coming. <laughs> so he knows. Is what did I wish I had said? And I mean, it was not even, and it was in my notes and everything. It was not even like 10 minutes after the sermon. I was like, oh, I missed, I forgot to say this one part, which is, um, the idea that God now lives inside of his people, where does the world that doesn't know God, where did they go now to find him? And, and all, I, I was thinking a lot about just do, is that, is there that shine on our faces? Uh, Cause he talks about we with unveiled faces. So we face the world having been with the living God and is that reflected in our countenance? Now, not in a weird like way that maybe like with Moses, it seemed like it was like a supernatural, like almost like a like a, a you know electricity or something. You know what I mean? But but I was thinking about that a lot. That um, as transformed people, um, this is the strategy that God has. Is um, he, we're gonna the people are, that don't know him are gonna encounter him through us. And so the the fact that we with unveiled faces, that phrase really popped out at me as, oh, that's the responsibility. That's why we're still here is um, to be part of how God is going to um, reveal himself to others. And so it reminded me of the passage in Acts when it says that the people recognized that, that um, I think it was Peter and the apostles had been with Jesus. There was something about mm, their... Mm-hmm just their their look or their vibe or you know what i mean yep. and and i've met people like sometimes you sit on a plane next or you meet somebody and i'm like i think that person's probably a christian like you just have this yeah. sense like their man there yeah and that really struck me as a powerful piece that that i wish i had included um but that that really is part of what paul, i think paul is is you're the letter yeah. He talked about that mm-hmm. last week. Like you're th- that th- this is, you know, this is how God is going to communicate who he is to the world. That's significant. Yeah. Yeah. And Tony, any, anything that, I mean, James is already, you know, doing my job for me, but any, uh, anything that didn't quite make it in that you just kind of wanted to tap here. You know, I mean, in some of where I went kind of with the comparisons of the, the covenants, like there's always opportunity to dive back into like, just do a study of like more covenants, you know, that's kind of cool. I didn't really necessarily change much of like the passage. So it just would have been like a, that's eh, a fun detour, but like we just spent half the time doing that. So I, yeah. <laughs> I had that originally. I was like, Oh, I just don't think I have time for that. But I think even what James is getting at, I mean like this, the last two verses of this passage, 17 and 18 are just like this really beautiful realities. And, and it's, 
just so encouraging, even thinking about that, that idea of boldness. I think I talked about this in the sermon of like, when you see that word boldness in the, in the new Testament, it's like how we live toward God and how we live toward others. It's kind of like one of the two of those. And it's, it's really both, you know, I mean, like James is talking about, it's like, we go and we're with people. And this is something that Paul is building on. Like he, I love how he writes. I love reading Paul because he's just, it's like, looking at a fi- I just think of it like looking at a fireworks display of like, there's this picture and then there's that picture and then there's this picture, but they all like, sometimes they seem so different from each other, but he's weaving them together, like under the inspiration of the spirit, right? He's like weaving them together to like, help us see this really vividly. And I think like, just, I mean, the living letters and the, and the, even where he's going in chapter four and five, I mean, like, we're going to see what that boldness looks like and what he's encouraging the Corinthians to live like and to do and to like give them the realities of like unbelievers can't see the gospel you know and so like and so he's gonna again he's gonna flesh these out even more but i think for me that boldness piece was one that it was just so prominent and so vivid in the text that it was would have loved to spend a little more time there i'm like what does that look like for us well also the aroma yeah, uh, kind of, it's the same. I mean, it's just, the, the imagery there is there's so many. Yeah, and it's a great challenge for each of us to be thinking about like how we in our own lives can be acting with boldness and to be that aroma to other people. And so, James, Tony, I really appreciate both of you being here with me today. And I thanks to everyone who is listening. And we will have another one of these conversations next week. <laughs>